You're listening to The Gamer Podcast. I'm Eric from the Gamer.com editorial team, and today we're covering the biggest news stories of the week, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, and Halo's multiplayer. Let's go! Welcome to the show. The news team has assembled. That's an Anchorman joke. We've got Stacey Hemley. Hello. And Izzy Vanderveld. Hello. And George Foster. Hello, hello. And we got a lot of news this week, but we're going to start with one that George is most excited about. Warner Brothers Multiverses. Officially Ooh. announced. This was leaked. We all knew. We even saw the roster. And it was the actual, it was the same one they officially you know, put out, but mm. uh, we finally saw some gameplay. It's a little bit different of a platform fighter than uh, than Nick or Smash. George, you want to describe what it's what it is? So it's much more focused on cooperative play than Smash or Nick, um, and it seems to have a lot more live servicey elements. I don't know if any of you have played Brawlhaller, but it seems like it's basically that, but with Warner Brothers characters. Um, and I really like Brawlhaller. I know it probably gets a bad rap as just a, it's not Smash or whatever, but I played like 50, 60 hours of that, really enjoyed it. So taking that concept, doing something a little bit different with it by making it co-op and then having characters like Steven Universe, who I adore, I'm, all, I'm on board. I love it. You know what? The last PAX I was at, uh, it was right before Fall Guys came out and Fall Guys was like the center of the show. It was massive, but... Off to the side was Brawlhalla, and there was probably more people hanging out for the Brawlhalla tournaments. And it's really? not a new game, but yeah, Brawlhalla was like huge at this convention. I think I it's one of those sleeper games on. we don't really talk about. I love it. I, I, I'm big into it. I haven't played it in a bit. I know I just said I love it, and I'm big into it, and I haven't played mm. it in a bit, but I do. I, I respect it quite a lot. So the, the tweak on multiverses is that it's a co-op fighter. Mm. It's a 2v2 and it's class-based. So you have like supports and like tanks. And mm. I thought that was really weird. It is it is weird, but I, I think like my best mode, like to go back to Brawlhalla, I, I know that's going to be the constant comparison here. Uh, I always used to play that with a friend. I'd never play that solo anyway. And it's a lot more fun like that. Uh-huh. I, do, I, I would like it if they have an option for solo play. And I think they said something like, oh, single player players, we've got you too. And then didn't like evolve on that but i don't know i'm just i i, I love ip all right i know i know we make jokes <laughs> about it i just love stuff and i love chucking stuff into one big thing and then saying, yeah. look at all this stuff i have i like that that's you know we good. all we all make fun of it we all hate to admit it but we all love ip i love ip yeah but this doesn't get me problem with this is it doesn't really get why i love ip because mm. the the thing George compared to Nick and to Smash there, but he's just being kind to Nick. No one's going to compare to Nick. By the time this comes out, everyone will have forgotten that guy. Yeah. yeah. People love the characters. Like Spon- no one's going to forget who SpongeBob is, but they're mm. going to forget that game where SpongeBob beat up the Ninja Turtles and didn't speak. Mm. Yes, 100%. That's, that's kind of the problem with the Warner Brothers thing. It might be great, but it seems to be relying on we have Arya Stark and Harley Quinn and Steven mm-hmm. Universe and... Smash would be great if the characters were terrible. That's why loads of people play as like Fire Emblem characters from games that were only available in Japan seven years ago that they've never touched. Mm. Smash right. is a great game because it is a great game. That Snake and Joker are in there is 
irrelevant. People weren't excited when Sora came to Smash because it's Sora. They were excited because it's Smash oh, and Sora's in it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I know, I know what you right. mean. I think that's I mean, very much like wait to, wait to be seen. Then like I get excited way way too early for stuff, but it might have good great combat. We don't know. Yet. Yeah, the I think mate. <laughs> it may be game of the year. It may revolutionize gaming as we know, but it'll probably be an average fighter that's not as good as Smash and will be forever compared to it. Oh. Hedging on the co-op though, I think is a smart bet because when I play yeah. Smash with my friends, what we do is we all get in a lobby and then we play round robin and we do that for like an hour and then mm. we don't play Smash again for three months. <laughs> but, yeah. but with this game, because I can queue online with a friend and we can play competitive co-op. I think that's and it's a free to play game. Oh, you know, that's that, gonna yeah. help. So yeah, I think even if it's a not nearly as good as Smash, at least we can have, you know, some dumb fun with Shaggy and Superman. <laughs> there we haven't mentioned it, but there the roster is buck wild. Oh it's yeah. Great. It's so great. And, and they've got the Pro Vice as well. You know, they've got Matthew Leonard as Shaggy, they've got Kevin Conroy as Batman. They are going the for it. The yeah. only the only person I, I did write about this, and I'm probably again the only person who cares, similarly to the only person who cares about multiverses, is that Steven Universe has been like done a little dirty. Um, Why for is that? like for fair reasons, his voice actor hasn't come back to voice him. Um, I think because Zach Allison has like some mental health issues, and he's now like playing a character that's like a lot younger than him, um, so he can't do the voice anymore. I don't think, but he's not back, and he can't do the voice anymore. Like if if you listen to they basically aged Stephen up in the show as well, so it would match his voice naturally. But younger Stephen sounds oh. really like squeaky and yeah, yeah. Interesting. So I don't think he can uh, do it anymore. Well, maybe he can. I don't know, but mm. it's kind of a shame because he's the only one who isn't. And obviously, again, my favorite character. So it's just like, oh, really? And he says okay. stuff like friendship power, and he looks really weird and like. Clay does he like... not say things like yeah, that's what you mean yeah, he, he kind of does. He kind of does. He says like... he looks weird. There's gay stuff going on in the background. <laughs> yes, that's what the show is. It, it just seems a bit like uh, it's kind of the same with Garnet too. Like the name of her moves are like I can't even remember what they're called, but they're just like a reference to her singing. Just because one of the most popular parts of her character was that song she sang, rather than anything to do with her character. Everything um, you're saying yeah, is yeah. everything I've heard about Steven Universe, so I don't understand why. Yeah, I, I, I am literally <laughs> just being like incredibly nitpicky and like, oh, it's not yeah. exactly how I want it, which is maybe to like compare it to Smash. Like, Smash does things exactly how you'd expect and want them to be. It's like to the smallest I see your detail. Point. Yeah. yeah, they get the details mm. for sure. Mm. Well, Batman's in this one and he's not in Smash. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a big week for video game film and tv announcements uh mass effect well this is just a rumor as far as i know but amazon is circling bioware for a mass effect series yeah in the past we had heard about a live action uh mass effect movie and maybe that's not happening now but this seems to be a live action series um which is that's got to play way better than a movie would right mm. I mean, it's made. It's got to be made for. T if you're going to do Shepard, which I don't think, as a fan, I don't think you should. As a person who understands you need to make money, you absolutely have to. Yeah. Because it's the sh it's the Shepard show. Um, 
And if you're going to do Shepard, even if you just do Mass Effect 1, that needs to be a TV show. Like, yeah. there's so much that happens with all of the stuff around it. You, you can't tell that story in, you know, two hours. Yeah. Which you'd have to if it was a movie. You'd have to trim things out and tell it in two hours, and it wouldn't really work. You know, I we, we people say prestige TV, which is a really dumb uh, descriptor, but... With with how good shows are, I I'm kind of off video game movies like almost completely. I kind of think anything you're gonna adapt is gonna be play better on an HBO show. Yeah, I think kids kids things are the exception. You know, Detective Pikachu worked yeah, really Sonic. well because it was yeah, and Sonic. Yeah, because it was just an hour and a half of. Do you remember oh, this yeah. guy from from the TV show? Yeah, like, from the from the video game. Well, here he is in a movie. It's. It doesn't need to be a TV show. It doesn't need to tell a story. It just needs to be that thing I know. Yes. You're right. Yeah, I don't want Chris Pratt's 12-hour Mario epic, please. No. <laughs> I don't uh, want any of it at all. No, I don't want any of it. But for, for a Bioware thing, like, we need we need a series. It needs to be a I slow burn. Yeah, mm. and totally. And it's worth knowing that a while ago, Henry Cavill did kind of tease slash leak slash... Right, that script. That yeah. he was going to be in Mass Effect. There was an Instagram script yeah. page thing. Script page thing. Uh, okay, cool. That's kind of all we know about that. Oh, go ahead. For anyone who wants a Mass Effect TV show but doesn't want to wait for the Mass Effect TV show, just watch The Expanse on Amazon. I knew he was going to say that. that. Oh, it's so good. I knew he was going to so say that. It's so good. The gamer has so many expanse stands. Uh, everyone should have so many expanse stands. It's just the best show. <laughs> uh, also, Kojima announced a TV and film division of Kojima Productions, which is the least surprising news I've ever heard in my life. Opening <laughs> up in LA. Yeah. Oh, oh in LA. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He has. I don't understand why Kojima makes video games because he desperately wants to be a movie director. <laughs> all of his friends are movie directors. He all he tweets about are movies. Like all of his games are just movies. It's true. So uh, now he's gonna make movies, and they're gonna be Kojima movies. They're gonna be borderline unwatchable nonsense <laughs> that we can't take our eyes off of. And the the thing with it is, you know, gamers just kind of accept that, but. Mm-hmm. Film goers won't. That's why I shouldn't make movies because people will go and see it and say this is terrible. This makes no sense. It's gonna be a why is one. your villain called Mister Badman? <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? Whereas gamers will play it and they'll say that's the best piece of art ever because it's so satirical. Got a hero yeah. called Goodman. Ah, oh, yes, very good. I doubt. I doubt these are going to be multi-million-dollar theater releases no. with ten thousand no. theater distribution. Um, these are going to end up on Netflix, and that's perfectly fine. Um, I'm sure you can get weirder and have total creative control, because that's the other thing. In the movie business, you don't get to be a Kojima most most of the time. No, Chris, there's Christopher uh, Nolan, and then that's kind of it. Yeah, and even he has to stomp his feet and go to the press when he doesn't get his way. Even he has to go in <laughs> Fortnite. <laughs> yeah, even he ends up in Fortnite, yeah. So uh, that is that's exciting. I'm gonna keep my eye on that. And then this is not directly video game related, but it's still uh, cool news. Alien and Blade Runner are both uh, have series in yeah, production. Rid- Ridley Scott's confirmed both of them have pilots already written. Uh, that's oh, very wow. cool. I think I'm definitely gonna. I'm more excited about Alien than Blade Runner because it's Agreed, so much yeah. easier to mess up Blade Runner. Yeah. yeah. So. 
and kind of. I mean, they have the messed up Alien already a few times, though, so yeah. it's, it's yeah. easy to mess up Alien. There's the TV a... show seems cool, though. It's going to be set on Earth, he said. Um, actually, know, yeah, uh, I don't know if it was Ridley Scott who said it actually, or the um, the showrunner for Alien is um, Noah Crawley, Crawley the yeah. showrunner for yeah. Fargo. That um, so I think yeah, he'll yeah. be a really interesting choice to to lead that. That's cool. We have a Blade Runner anime, right? And that looks terrible. Yeah, that looks that looks bad. Looks um, I think I, I think Andy Kelly wrote about that on the site. Okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not very interested in that. The show could uh, fall flat, but I have my hopes. My hopes are already up for Alien. I didn't think the sequel was going to be any good, and then it was very, very good. So very good. Yeah. And again, if you want a Blade Runner show, you should watch Altered Carbon on Netflix. Okay. Is he's the master of if you should do this, just do this. <laughs> yeah. Here's here's how it already basically kind of sort of exists, just without the IP you know and love. <laughs> but you gotta you gotta have IP. I tell you this. <laughs> the other thing, is, speaking of the anime, there's plenty of anime that's very Blade Runner already. But then we so get I'm... actual Blade Runner anime, and it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, it looks terrible. We I haven't seen it. Uh, okay, let's t- talk about uh, some less fun news. Um, Wall Street Journal put out a new report about Bobby Kotick and Activision Blizzard. This is not something that we've talked about on the show. We're not avoiding it. Obviously, we cover uh, Activision Blizzard on the site and uh, what has been going on with the, ever since that the original lawsuit. We've been covering it pretty extensively, but we haven't been talking about it on the show just because it's nonstop. We would be talking about it every week, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think at this point, uh, it would be good to address what's going on because, um, we're, it feels as though we're kind of at a a tipping point here, at least with, uh, Bobby Kotick specifically. Um, can somebody sort of tell us what, what was revealed in that wall street journal report and where we're at now? Yeah. So the wall street journal report, um, alleges allegedly that, um, Bobby Kotick knew, about the sexual misconduct going on um, at the company for years, uh, alleges that he actually protected some abusers. I can't, it was someone at either someone at Sledgehammer or Treyarch, maybe it was both. it was Treyarch. Um, was it Treyarch? Yeah, someone at um, Treyarch had been reported to HR by a female employee, and then um, Kotick protected them, and that that person went and got uh, got counselling instead of get in the sack uh that person is now gone since the since the report came out since the report they're gone yes um which you know kind of makes you think it it probably uh, am i allowed to say this it makes you think it probably was true (laughs) given that they are now does make you think that yeah does does make you think (laughs) that that could be the case um also it turns out he uh kotick threatened to to kill a woman uh which uh stacy as you brilliantly put in your piece uh we don't even need an allegedly for that there's just proof and he doesn't deny it <laughs> right yeah just it's just a thing that he did he threatened to kill his assistant yeah. yeah i didn't know about that one yeah um Jesus. but yeah so, so that, that was all in the report a week ago yeah so since then uh there's been a bit of a scramble uh with the activision blizzard board uh they have established a committee that's made up to... of board members. <laughs> a committee of themselves. <laughs> a, committee of, a committee of the only two women on the board, yep. <laughs> um, 
Kodak himself has said that he will consider stepping down. This was a, an internal uh, communication. That if, well, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say this. That's pretty good tangent, Mink. That there's been so many internal communications about this that are clearly deliberately being released. Yes, we have it. We know of internal emails that were sent by Activision, by Sony, by Nintendo, and by Xbox. And while Nintendo and Xbox have since confirmed that yes, they are true, the way that this story has gotten out has very clearly been designed to appeal to people like us who follow the news, who will right. report on it, but not to anybody who plays games. Right, and the deniability of like, yeah, well, that got leaked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's all very cynical. It's all very disgusting. Um, where where did I, what I was saying was that uh, Kodak has not stepped down. No, he, he no will quote unquote consider stepping down if these problems can't be fixed uh, as soon as possible. Um, I don't understand. That he apparently knew about for decades, and, and 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 was part of, right? And was directly yeah, part allegedly, of. So, yeah. so it's a matter I, of time, right? I, I I don't understand how uh, the problems can be resolved with him in a leadership role. Um, no, and I, I think mean, a lot of people are wondering what, that. What they need is for the the press to move on. There used to be a thing um, in the world called shame. It doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) Um, And business leaders and politicians and really anybody in power, when the level of shame was high enough, they would just leave. That was how a lot of people in power used to be removed. They would be shamed into leaving office. Yeah. Um, That just doesn't happen anymore. We've seen it in politics. We've seen it in business. The problem is you cannot remove Kodak. He He has to willingly quit or somebody else as powerful as him has to fire him. There has to be pressure applied by somebody like him. If they fire him, they owe him hundreds of millions of dollars in severance. That's part yeah. of his contract. And uh, obviously the reason that they don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, because paying, paying him out, pu- him publicly leaving, paying him out hundreds of millions is going to crash the stock. Bad for the shareholders. That's just business, baby. So, uh, but he's got to go. It's going to happen. Um yep. It, it, I, I believe very confidently it is going to happen mm-hmm. um, because I don't think that that company can heal until he does. I think he, he is too much at the center of it at this point. Yeah, definitely nothing is going to change with him at the helm. And I mean, it, well, it in would the wake already, of that, right? exactly. In the wake of the report, mm-hmm. um, employees staged a walkout. They've they've signed internal petitions. There's even like a public change to all petition to get into Does anyone know how many signatures there are now? Last I heard it was like 13,000 or uh, 1300 signatures. Uh on the staff one when I did my report on it yesterday it was 1803. 1800. Um, yeah. There's a public one as well that has the public one's like 13,000 or something like that, yeah. Yeah. Last time I, I mean checked. but do you think if only people buy Activision games 13,000 is nothing. 13,000 exactly. bought Call of Duty in the first 20 minutes that it was available for sale. This yeah. is the yeah. this is the problem. I think you'll move on eventually. I just I really wish that were the case. I think people like us and other sites and other journalists and other boots on the ground need to be applying the pressure. But he leaves if he becomes unpro uh, if he becomes unprofitable to have him there, which is unlikely because of how yeah. much money it costs to get rid of him, or he is shamed into leaving and he is a man without shame. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, the the uh, impacting the profit 
uh, does seem unlikely. It's an interesting question. We saw PlayStation make a move. Now, it was most certainly a half measure, if not a quarter measure. <laughs> but uh, I think George was about to bring this up. Uh, Vanguard, which was which just came out, the new Call of Duty, and it was featured on PlayStation Store's homepage, the featured page, it was removed and um, could be coincidence. There's no statement clarifying. Yeah. Uh, it is weird for Call of Duty, which has traditionally been like the biggest PlayStation partner, to drop off the featured store within the first couple weeks of it coming out. Yeah. But, um, you know, based on what Jim Ryan s- said, you know, internal, once again, internal communication, uh, you know, admonishing the situation with Activision Blizzard, maybe that was a deliberate, like, we don't want their stuff to be up front. Now, they didn't remove it from the store. So yeah. what kind of impact that's actually going to have, it seems minimal. If people are going to know what Call of Duty is nowadays, like... There are no bonuses, though. But and, and This is a really small thing. I, I don't think PlayStation is anywhere near enough, considering the power it has, or any of the mm-hmm. publishers. But... um. Call of Duty's traditionally had, you know, bonus weekends, PlayStation Boost, PlayStation Store, PlayStation Expert, none of that this year. Mm-hmm. Whether that's mm-hmm. a sign yeah. of the Call of Duty yearly release kind of cooling with Warzone, whether it's not necessarily Kotick related, but the bigger um, California lawsuit from the summer. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah. there does seem to be a smaller partnership happening. It does seem that way. Yeah. No. It also sold worse than any other Call of Duty in like a while. I know that's probably because of like people just not being that interested in Vanguard and having yeah, Halo and Battlefield out. Vanguard but... wasn't promoted too well, I didn't think. There's Warzone, there's, it had competition from Call of Duty's multiplayer and from Battle. There's a lot of factors that it would be nice to say it's because of what's happening at Activision Blizzard, but they're just there are other factors. For the longest yeah. time, I thought Vanguard was just like the next Warzone expansion. I mean, I know we're not covering sort of, you know, we're not that's part like, of publicizing it, yeah. the games anymore at yeah. the gamer. Um, so that's why I'm a bit out of the loop. But yeah, for the longest time, I just didn't know yeah. what it actually was, like what its identity was as a game. I think it's also worth mentioning while we talk <clears> about <throat> um, the PlayStation Store stuff, the the sort of consequences of cyberpunk. Now that we have an example of a game getting removed from the PlayStation store. Like we know it's pot. It's a thing they're willing to do. And now we're wondering when they're going to use that power. Now, obviously cyberpunk was, was for the sake of the customers. Well, cyberpunk was because CD project red put out a tweet saying, if you have any complaints, just take them to Sony. Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. I know it was for the know, sake of the customers. It's I know it was of... quote unquote for the players, but it was actually <laughs> for the profit, as everything yeah. they do is. Right, but yes, but it was because Sony couldn't hand they couldn't handle how to handle refunds. Yeah, mm. like I do. They... I do appreciate what you mean. Sony had the power. They specifically chose mm-hmm. to remove Cyberpunk, and no game is bigger than Cyberpunk. Right. It's certainly not Call of Duty. There is not a gay Call of Duty is not bigger than Cyberpunk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So now that was that wasn't removed for an ethical reason, Mm. and if they and if they were to take Call of Duty off the store, it would be solely for the sake of doing the right thing. And Um, the problem with it is as well, Call of Duty didn't do this. You know, Activision did. You can't just take off Call of Duty. If you're making a statement against Bobby Kotick or against Activision Blizzard, Activision Blizzard King, technically, yeah, you, go you all would the way. need to take 
Activision games, Blizzard games, and King games, if there are any, off the store. Right. You can't just say we hate and call it duty. I mean, you can, that's what they did. But that can't be the action you take. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Diablo would have to go. Overwatch would have to go. All yep. of it. Crash, Spyro. <laughs> yeah. yeah. God, and so that's much. just not nope. going to happen. Nope. Not going to happen. All our beloved IP. Um, and <laughs> then the, the insidious thing in, in this situation with Activision is that Activision's core is are the most fringe gamers. They are the yeah. people that are yeah. least likely to see gaming news of all gamers. Yeah. They all care. And to be honest, they're the kind of people that are only going to know there's a new Call of Duty when they see it on the featured store. Oh, new <laughs> Call of Duty. I'm going to buy that. Buy it every year. Um, oh, one yeah. thing I want to mention, actually, sorry about the Activision Blizzard thing, um, just because we didn't mention it already, is uh, Jen O'Neill, the, who was the mm -hmm. co-lead for a few months, it also came out that she claimed she was getting paid less than Mike Ibarra, who was the male co-lead counterpart. Yeah. Right. So she held that role for like I think three months, and yeah, then she yeah, left. Very long. And yeah. yeah, apparently part of the reason for her leaving was being uh, her words tokenized, marginalized, um, also underpaid. And it just makes you think: if your company is already being sued for like gender discrimination and sexual harassment and all these kinds of things. What on how how on earth do you decide? Yeah, do you know what? We're not going to pay the woman we've appointed this role the same amount as the man. Like she says, she was eventually offered um, equal pay, but only after she'd already handed in her resignation. Uh, it's just it's just such a bizarre move. Like it just makes no sense. How they couldn't have been saving enough money on underpaying her to make that worth their while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that was the moment for me when I saw this as an irredeemable situation oh, for sure um you know they the the lawsuit happened they immediately got rid of brack they were like we got to fix the leadership here we're going to promote these people and then you find out that that was itself just more of the same that was more smoke and mirrors yep and three months later she walks away jen o'neill walks away and and reveals that Hey, I was discriminated against too as the president of of the company. Like, it's yeah. a yeah, a irredeemable situation. Um, mm. That's that's the moment where all leadership just has to go. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, yeah. even this even this committee, it's it's two of the board members investigate. Uh, they they've been assigned to oversee progress and make sure progress is happening, but they get progress reports from Bobby Kotick. Mm -hmm. And from like the, uh, I think it's the chief compliance officer and the chief people officer. So it's like, it's the, these top leaders who, who apparently are the toxic problem that are going to be saying like, oh no, we're doing a really good job. Here's all the progress we're making. It's, yeah. that can obviously never work. It's just absurd. Yeah. And, you know, Kodak has long been a reviled figure, uh, in at least in games media he's the highest paid ceo in games like we we have had a dislike for this man and his antics for a, a long time so i'm sure that they're just like uh like stacy said just waiting for the press to move on mm -hmm. um and yeah. you know we can't and it and i don't think anybody is 
good. No, I don't think anybody is. There's been a concerted effort by everybody. There's been some fantastic r- reporting yeah, from them. Yeah, sure. It's it is kind of weird when the the bastions of anti-capitalism within gaming are the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg. Sure. That's just <laughs> the yeah. that we have. That yeah. um, and that's the thing. We're mainstream now. You know, yeah. we're we're talking the big money. So now the mainstream news is on it, and no nobody's going to let up. So yeah. Okay, uh, let's talk about something. Actually, I think this is really interesting and a lot less dark. Uh, Epic has acquired Harmonics, announced this week. Uh, this is good or bad news, depending on how you look at it. Um, Harmonics is uh, the musical company behind Rock Band, um, a very cool VR game nobody plays called Autica, where you shoot the music notes with guns. Uh, one of my all-time favorite games, Drop Mix. Have you all played Drop Mix? Oh, they did, Fu- they did Fuser as well, didn't they? Fuser was great. Yeah, so Fuser is the video game version of Drop Mix. Drop Mix, yeah. I'm going to describe this really fast because it's an amazing game. It's a board. It's a board with a Bluetooth compatibility, and you have a deck of cards. The cards are all stems from songs. So you've got the drums from this song, the vocals from this song. And when you put the cards on the board, it plays that stem on a loop. And whenever you add other stems, it automatically puts it into a key that makes them all compatible. So you can form a song out of the vocals from this Ariana Grande song and the drums from this Bruno Mars song. And you all just play cards and make different songs. It's basically what Fuser is, but it was like a a party game. It was way more fun. I was going to say that sounds way more fun than Fuser. (laughs) That'll sound really cool. It's like a a deck. I like Fuser. That sounds like... That sounds like a good drinking game. That it's fun. Uh, it's an amazing drinking game. It's a ton of fun. They sold them in like booster packs. You would like buy random songs, and it was like huge at Toys R Us. And then Toys R Us shut down, and it killed Drop Mix. Uh, but you can still get the like the board and like the starter decks and stuff on Amazon for like fifty bucks. It's like anyway, Drop Mix is sick. Fuser's pretty good. Uh, so Harmonics now joining Epic to what it sounds like is develop a musical experiences for Fortnite. Um, it's bad news. <laughs> the value there, the value there for Epic, you know, aside from their expertise, uh, is their IP, right? Their, their library of music rights that they own and the context that they have and their ability to get licensed music because it's a huge you know, get for Epic's. Huge get, huge get. It's like it's bringing the music industry into Fortnite in a in an even bigger way. Um, so what that means from a gameplay side, we like we literally have no idea, but we can definitely expect Fortnite to be incorporating way more, you know, mainstream music uh, into they, the game. They've done it really well in the past. It sounds cool. I hope. This isn't harmonics just getting eaten up and bought for you know their IP value and the you know the copyright that they own. Um, mm. I saw somebody uh, compare it to uh, Valve buying Campo Santo, and that made me really, really, really sad. What <laughs> <laughs> about that? Um, so we'll see. anybody yeah. Anybody a harmonics fan? It sounds like that's just my jam. No, I, look, I, I like harmonics, and I would love to live in a world where, like, every studio that I liked, one either didn't 
get owned by Activision or yeah. was given the money to go and make the perfect video game that they want. I would love for somebody to go and give harmonics, you know, $7 billion and say, go and make the best music game ever. But we were never going to get another band hero, right? Just a rock band or whatever. Yeah. Rock band. We're never going to get another rock band. We have moved on. Right. Going to the buy peripherals. Fuser, like you described a board game that was better than the video game. And I, sorry to board game. Let's call them nerds out there. That should just <laughs> never be the case. Um, yeah, I want our listeners you... to know. Stacy, Stacy paused, and it looked like she really tried to think of something kinder before she settled on that. I did. <laughs> yeah, I would like our listeners to know that was entirely for Eric's benefit and not for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, look, I, I would love for Harmonix to be able to go and make the game that they were going to make. They, they weren't going to in this environment. Music mm-hmm. games don't really sell. The peripheral thing has well gone. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I said band hero, rock band, guitar hero has the more cultural, you know, for sure, penetration there. So I, I don't know. I I think it's a good move for them if they get to keep doing things. If harmonics get to still exist as a thing, and you know, work on the next Travis Scott, the next Ariana Grande concert, and make that kind of bigger. I love the the Grande concert earlier this year because I'm a big Ariana Grande fan. But it felt like. They didn't really know what to do with somebody like Ariana Grande. They just kind of, the game kind of existed while she sang seven songs. Right. And it would be good to have not just music people talking to games people, but have music game people in the yes. room when those yes. decisions are made. Because um, they aren't going to get to make another music game. They're just, they're just not going to. Right. Yeah, that, that's the thing. This is very good for Epic. And, and I think that harmonics, you're right, probably needed this to continue existing. Uh, I'm being optimistic about it. Of course, the consolidation of game studios is a very bad thing in the grand yeah, scheme of things. So, uh, you know, I hate that it has to be this way, but I think that if it does have to be this way, this is a good partnership. Mm. Agreed. You've sold me on it. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's talk about uh, GTA. This is another ongoing week-to-week story that we haven't touched on yet uh Jesus. but the the latest update is that the original gta trilogy is back uh and it never should have left and nope. we should never forget that they did that nope. even and it was even also if... never called a trilogy you can't take right. three and two spin-offs and say this is a trilogy you cannot true yeah i never Very got true. that that was always weird yeah I've never thought here's that. the ps2 ones they're a trilogy now yeah hmm. The, but no, the back. Had the remasters been flawless, it is still unforgivable to remove the originals from the store. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are back, and you know, part of me wonders if they are going to fix the remakes and take the originals off again. Let's hope that's not the uh, case. I don't think they could at this point, could they? They got so much shit for it. Whatever the hell they, they want. They could, though. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Realistically, what, what are we going to do? What's anyone going to do if Rockstar decides to remove yeah. three yeah. games from like, okay, literally I'll... nothing? Unfortunately, we, we can't do anything. Rockstar has its own launcher that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, it disappoints me a lot because I think, for me, it just makes me think about game preservation as a as like a sure. whole and as a concept. And I think it's why I can never be mad at um, people who pirate anything. Because, you know, even if you, you know, obviously there are some people who just can't afford things but still want to enjoy them. But even if you're just looking at it in terms of like a, 
oh, screw that company, I'm not going to pay their games. When companies pull shit like this, it makes me think, like, well, why should you ever feel bad about doing it? Like, at any moment, any company can just go, oh, that thing you love, yeah, you can't buy it anymore. And the only protection you really have against that is either owning something physically, and if you mm-hmm. can't own something physically, just pirating it. That's why I buy it physically. You never know. Yeah, that's why, I pro- yeah. that's why when everything started getting moved to digital, I immediately felt wary. Because yeah. there, there's just you have no security in your ownership of anything because you don't really own something if you just own it if you just own a, a digital copy that you don't mm-hmm. even have actually like saved to your hard drive. Right. I will say it's been like really fun seeing every week how much worse the situation gets. Like at first <laughs> start off like these graphics are a bit weird and it's like oh it's broken as fuck and it's like ah. Oh, <laughs> models move in spelling errors like i just i don't know how i don't know how they so got away, got away with it sounds bad but I, how they allowed it to be released like this it's an interesting situation i hope that this will be a lesson to the game industry as my understanding is that a lot of the very broken like textures and mismatched update and stuff is because they used machine learning yeah they did. to yeah. To artificially update the game, yeah, rather than using artists to make new assets, yeah. uh, and in doing so, made a game that looks like a bizarre mirror world where <laughs> words like make it. no sense, and um, you know, everybody points to the the big nut donut thing, how it completely loses <laughs> all context yeah. because it's smoothed out. You know? <laughs> Uh, they they took the the easy they they took the cheap route you know they tried to do it without actually doing the work yeah, and sure, maybe so. it was like experimental and like experimental is fine but then they sold it <laughs> then they put it out and then they wanted people to buy it so not not great not great no okay um let's talk about Tomb Raider week Stacy. Yeah. Um, this is, we, we've had a few themed weeks at the yeah. gamer. When the show first started, we talked about our mass effect week. Um, a lot of people, mo- mostly Stacy, but we, we've, we've all been kind of putting in for, uh, interviews and history and re- retrospectives and talking all about, uh, one made Tomb Raider so great. Stacy, can you tell us, uh, a little bit about who you've been talking to and, and what you've covered on the site this week? Yeah, sure. This, um, <clears throat> We did Mass Effect Week and Dragon Age Week, the two like big Bioware blockbusters, and we kind of went all out with those. We got a lot of um, behind-the-scenes information, you know, that those series are so big because they're huge RPGs, whereas Tomb Raider is a lot more linear. Um, Tomb Raider is a game that I've always been a really big fan of, and I, through working games, know a couple of people who've worked on them, so I wanted to do a more, um, I suppose, understated week with a lot of interviews with the people behind it who... The Tomb Raider franchise has kind of moved on a little bit, and a lot of the early people don't really get spoken to anymore, which has always mm. surprised me. Some of them are just reclusive. Like I tried to track down Vicky Arnold, who wrote the first three games, and like even the people who worked on the games were like, we've never heard from her in 10 years. Um, so there's a lot of people who haven't really spoken to the press very much about it that I wanted to speak to. So I spoke to Gavin Rummery, who was the programmer on the first two games and then came back for a little bit of... Um, Angel of Darkness. I spoke to Paul Douglas, who wrote the original design doc. He is basically the co-creator. Everyone says Toby Gard created Lara Croft, but actually Paul Douglas kind of 
built what Lara Croft was. Mm-hmm. It was Toby Gard's idea to have this character. Um, Dallas Dickinson, who was the current overseer of basically Tomb Raider's boss, I guess. Um, and a few of the developers from the Survivor trilogy, as well as, um, I suppose, some fans who've like been to different levels in the real world, like traveled the world because of Tomb Raider. Um, some of the body doubles behind Tomb Raider to kind of get that side of it. And um, just written a little bit about some of my own favorite things about the game. Um, when this goes out on Friday, we'll have the pretty much all of the interviews will be up and a couple of opinion pieces still to go. But it was just a more of an understated celebration of some of the voices that have kind of been left out. It was when I took over as editor in chief, I wanted to keep doing the the theme weeks, but I knew we couldn't do all of them in this big kind of bombast. This huge RPG that everyone thinks is the best game of all time. Right. Once made a character straight because of Fox News. You know, right. we weren't be able to do that for every single game. Um, so I wanted to just kind of dive into the stories of the, you know, the individual developers and the the voices who, for whatever reason, don't really speak on Tomb Raider that much. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's an interesting way to to cover a series where all the talks about what's going to happen next. For you know, sure, yeah. It's, it's, it's been more reflective this year because of the 25th anniversary and they've been sharing some stuff. But Tomb Raider as a whole is not really that reflective a series considering it's been gone for 25 years. It, it really looks back. Right, yeah. And and it, it's really cool that we're, we've taken the time to, to do that look back because it's such an important series. I mean, as you say, it's been going for 25 years. Um, when I was, I, I watched the first movie to write something about it. And when I was doing a little bit of research, I realized like it was one of the first video game movies ever. I mean, there was, uh, there was Mario, there was Mortal Kombat, both the Mortal Kombat's and there was Street Fighter. And then there was Tomb Raider. So like that's Tomb Raider. And it was way more successful than any of those movies by like two or three times. So like even way back then, like Tomb Raider was huge. It was like household name game. Uh, and the you know the fact that it's still going uh, is is really impressive. It, it but of, of course it has changed a lot, and it seems like it will continue to. And like it seems like a a character in a series that's probably never going to end. Yeah, it's one of those weird things where if you look at how much Tomb Raider is sold, like it's good. Like I think it's something like eighty five million. No, that's they're good figures. They're really good figures. But it's not Mario. It's not Pikachu. Uh-huh. But my nana would know. Tomb Raider. I could put a picture of yeah. Lara Croft in front of him. Any of the games, from any of the movies, even a cartoon, even that new mobile game that she's obviously never played. And sure, yeah. I mean, my grandma would know that's Lara Croft. And she'd maybe know Pikachu, Mario, and she'd probably call Link Zelda, and that would be uh-huh. it of video game characters <laughs> that she would know. Like, she right. wouldn't know Master Chief. She wouldn't even know him as, like, the Halo Man. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Angelina Jolie was like completely unknown. They they yeah. wanted Catherine Zeta Jones to be Laura Croft. They Imagine actually that. they thought that Angelina was too ugly to be Laura Croft. Yeah, can you imagine being Angelina what? Jolie being told that you are too ugly for anything? Yeah. <laughs> and oh, obviously, she's had she's had an amazing career and done a lot of stuff. But like, she was Tomb Raider. Like yeah. people didn't know her from from anything before that. No, like, there was if you liked films, you'd seen Girl Interrupted, and then she was Tomb yeah. Raider, and that was yeah. it. Um, yeah, Re- really cool. The kind of impact 
Tomb Raider said. And it, I'm I'm happy we've uh, been able to do this deep dive. So check that out on the site. We're gonna have a bunch of stuff linked in the description. Stacey, what's like your what's your favorite piece from this week? What's um, my favorite thing? piece is getting to speak to Paul Douglas because I, I, when mm. I tracked him down, I couldn't find any interviews that he. The only interview I could find from Paul Douglas, who was the co-creator who wrote the design document for Tomb Raider, like the ten-page design document when Lara Croft first existed, as more than just an idea in someone's brain. Mm. He wrote that. That's such a huge piece of video game history. And the one interview I could find with him ever was something he'd done for an old magazine back in 1997 that had been archived on a Tomb Raider fan site. Wow. Um, so it was just pretty cool to get to speak to him. And he spent a lot of the interview telling me how terrible the Eon Flux movie is. So I just kind of had respect for that. <laughs> He's never on. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Is there a hub for everything? There will be on um, Friday when this goes out. We're going to do that at the okay. end of the week, like a collected here's what's um what we've done all week kind of thing that's awesome all right find that down in the description and that'll link to all of our tomb raider coverage uh we're gonna take a quick break stick around we'll be back with keen to talk about pokemon bdsm <laughs> Pokemon Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl came out this past Friday. Our return to the Sinnoh region. Uh, Gen 4 Remake, Keen. You reviewed it on the site. And uh, from reading review, your my sense is basically like this should have been Brilliant Platinum and Shining Platinum. But it wasn't quite that. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, any adjective Platinum. Just something yeah. Platinum. Uh, listen, they're a lot of fun. And I think that for anyone who hasn't played Gen 4 before, playing the Gen 8 version, they're going to have a lot um, to sort of find there. Uh, I've always thought that Gen 4 was kind of like the ugly duckling of Mm. all eight generations, purely because I know for a fact that, like, you know, I was four or five years old when Gen 1 came out. And that meant that when Gen 4 came out, I was, like, you know, on the verge of becoming a teenager. And I think a lot of people were kind of getting to the stage where maybe Pokemon wasn't cool anymore and they started playing like shooters and stuff like that and then a couple of years later we'll go back for like gen six or seven and I think five kind of survives that because five is the one that's narratively ambitious and like you know tried to tell a story that was like outside of the general very linear it, it was linear but I mean like you know it was a little bit more mature Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Gen 4 is kind of this one that people just look back on and go, oh, that was fine. So I was excited for these to come out, and I think that anyone who either doesn't remember it or never played it can benefit a lot from playing these remakes, but if you're a fan of Diamond Pearl or especially Platinum, I think that they're going to feel a little bit lackluster, especially Platinum, because that is an objectively better remake than Brilliant Diamond Shine and Pearl that came out 13 years ago. So Right. Yeah, so this is a... There are some new features, right? But this is a pretty much direct, uh, just a a visual upgrade for um, the original Diamond and Pearl. Is that is that fair? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, there there are some interesting things in there. Like, I mean, uh, when you go up against the Elite Four, after you beat them the first time, the first time they have their Diamond and Pearl teams. After that, uh, their second team is their Platinum team. Okay, which I think is pretty interesting. No, it's it's a higher level, obviously, um, mm-hmm. but it is the the team they use in platinum, and then after that they start becoming progressively more sort of closer to like actual viable competitive teams. Like there's a really cool thing where 
Cynthia's Milotic as a flame orb and its ability is Marvel scale. So a lot of people would probably look at that and think like, you know, well, why is why does it have a flame orb? Why did it just burn itself? But it's because when it has a status condition, its defense is like up by 50%. So, oh, geez. So every time it takes that tick damage, it's just getting thicker. Like it's essentially, it has like a, a base defense and special defense of 118 and 125, I think, which means it can just eat anything. Like I'd level 80 Roserade hitting it with Giga Drains and... I think like, you know, my IVs for that Roserade are like one off perfect in a special attack and I wasn't even doing half damage. Okay. So there's some tough yeah. uh, end game stuff. Yeah, which I think kind of like does take from Platinum. But aside from that, they're almost completely faithful to Donovan Pro. Yeah. I think the my feeling is like uh, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire or the other way around... Uh, <laughs> Those were very much like definitive editions of Gen 3, and they added like more chapters and stuff. And in by comparison, this just feels so much more bare bones or I don't know, un- unambitious. And I just wonder why why this one seems to have less than what we have uh, been become accustomed to for these remakes. It's really weird, right? Because when you look at um the first four generations are the ones that have the main two games and the third enhanced edition. And now with Brilliant Diamond and Shine and Pearl, they all have at least one remake each as well. Mm-hmm. So you've got like, you know, blue, red, yellow, and then fire, red, leaf, green, and then let's go. So one has quite a lot. I would argue that fire, red, leaf, green are the definitive ones in gen one. Mm-hmm. Gen two, you've got uh gold, silver, crystal, heart, gold, soul, silver, Obviously, Hardcore Souls of Wide Grand is the best Pokemon games ever made. Yeah. So there you have it again, definitive edition. And then with three, you've got Ruby, Sapphire, Emeralds, and then Oras. And I would like to think that I have a lot of nostalgia for Emerald, but in, and a lot of people complain about certain elements of Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, but I think that they do qualify as the definitive editions of that sort of era in Pokemon as well. Yeah. So for Diamond and Pearl to come out sort of again, be those ugly ducklings in the series. Then for Platinum to come out and be just revered as a phenomenal Pokemon game, and then for 13 years later for these to come out and be so lackluster in comparison right. is like a first for a Pokemon. Yeah. What, do you? I, I wonder if it was important that they get this out before Legends Arceus because of the, the connection, because they're sort of the same region and and maybe just for the sake of timing, like, I, I don't want to like, it's not throughout conspiracy theories or anything, but I wonder if there was a, a time when Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl were going to be more than what they are. And they just, for whatever reason, they had to rush it out. Did you get that yeah. sense at all? Yeah, absolutely. Especially, and again, like, you know, I'm not like, you know, trying to wear my tinfoil hat here and like, you know, point to things that I don't know for sure. But I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, Legends Arceus being this like, you know, huge Switch exclusive that's supposed to reinvent how Pokemon functions completely on almost every level. Um, and it being sitting like, you know, a past version of Sinnoh that's called Hisui. Mm-hmm. I think that there's it's no surprise that they wanted to get these remakes out before that so that everyone was reacquainted with Sinnoh in general. Um, obviously, we know already that like, you know, um, Kamado is Rowan's ancestor and like, you know, Celine is clearly connected to Cyrus and stuff like that. So playing 
brilliant diamond and shining pearl will give people a lot, a lot of context when they go to legends arceus yeah at the same time brilliant diamond and shining pearl have come out in this november window that is critical for like you know a huge company like nintendo's christmas performance right um especially with pokemon games like these mainline pokemon games i mean these are going to be under a lot of trees and i think that if these were delayed, Arceus would have to be delayed. It's not just like, you know, one game that they're missing out on sales for, it's two. Yeah. And yeah. I would think that obviously Game Freak didn't work on Brilliant Diamond and Shine and Pearl. Um mm-hmm. so but I would say that there's still probably quite a lot of oversight there and they're probably confident that they can get like, you know, Legends out at the date that they wanted to. I'd say if Legends had been pushed back, it would have left room for BDSP to be pushed back as well. Mm-hmm. But if that's to come out at its target, which I think is January 28th, these had to come out now, regardless of the shape they're in. Like, there's some really, really weird bugs in there at the moment as well. Oh, um, really? Well, there's a duplicate glitch, right? Yeah, and there's there's some stuff like, you know, people being able to surf on land and like, you know, there's it, it looks like it could have done with like, you know, at least another month or so of QA um, and fixes and just at the moment... Like, if you look at the subreddit, it is just people at this point, like, you know, poking fun at the fact that there are so many stupid things happening in this game. I didn't encounter any of them in my playthrough, mm. but with the sheer volume of people who are noticing these things. Yeah. Uh, but aside from that, like, a, a point I do want to mention is that there is currently one known connection between the two games, which is there's a new book in Canalave Library. Um mm. I noticed that last week and I didn't want to say anything because I was trying to figure out if there was anything more to it than just a book. But then it was shared on Twitter recently and it blew up and I was like, okay, like, you know, I've been trying at this for a week. Like I did so much weird shit. Like, you know, I, I caught all the Pokemon mentioned in the book and surfed out East of Sunny Shore with them and my party and no one else. And was like clicking on all the fucking barriers to see if I could like break through the map or something. Yeah. Um, I went underground and like, you know, went as east as I was trying so many different things and none of it really triggered anything. Um, it's the the Manaphy movie, the Pokemon Ranger movie that it refers to, I think. Oh, OK. Uh, it's Weasel, Quillfish and Mantike. OK. And but the, the, the cool thing about the book is that it says that the Quillfish had bigger scales than usual. So people think it's going to be like a Hisuian evolution. Interesting. Um, which I think would be really cool because Quillfish is the kind of Pokemon that definitely deserves something like that. Like, you know, right. a pretty cool design from Gen 2 that is largely forgettable. Right. So, but yeah, aside from that, I haven't really noticed any connections. Um, yesterday, I spent quite a while. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember, but in the northeast corner of Sinnoh, there's like the fight area, survival area, and resort area. Mm-hmm. Just beside Stark Mountain where you get Heatran. And in Platinum, Cyrus's grandfather is there. So I was there, but he, he's not in Diamond and Pearl. So mm-hmm. because these are faithful remakes, he's not there either. But I was wondering if you went up there, there might be some kind of, I don't know. I, I've spent a lot of time trying to hunt for any connections possible. And so far, the only one that seems even remotely apparent is that book, that new yeah. book. That well, just and tells I, the story of the movie. Like, I, I think that also speaks to people just really desperately wanting to find more to this game than what's there. Yeah. You know, um, which is kind of a shame um, because it's not like we're going to get another Diamond and Pearl remake. We're not going to get a platinum remake. So, um, where did you uh, ultimately land on the art style? Because that was a little bit divisive. It's a bit jarring because in battles, the art is pretty cool. It's sort of like in a halfway house between Let's Go and Sword and Shield. 
Mm. And, you know, it just, it's fine. Like, you know, it, it feels like you're playing a pretty contemporary Pokemon game. And then after the battle, when you're like, you know, just walking around again with the chibi kind of overworld aesthetic, it just, I think it's kind of totally inconsistent. Um, yeah. It also kind of spoiled some of the characters. Like, Crasher Wake is this fucking wrestler guy who sings his own theme song and doesn't give a shit about anything. And with the new chibi style, because like the facial animations only have like three or four different expressions, he just like gives you this like big friendly, like cheery smile. And it's like, that's not that character. You know? Right. It's, or like Cyrus. Cyrus doesn't look scary at all. Um, he's supposed to be the most intimidated villain in all of Pokemon. And, you know, he looks like something off a fucking show designed for two year olds. Huh. Um, like i don't know it's it's he's really like you know sort of like like stumpy and the wrinkles look like caricature-ish and it's it's yeah. not great but also, i don't know why he has wrinkles he's 27 <laughs> it it seems like it's a good it's a very good style for the pokemon themselves but not as not as much for the characters in the world yeah yeah i, I think that's a pretty good uh that's a good way of say, saying it. but the, then the weird thing is that in the overworld Pokemon don't really, they're not subject to those same kind of like weird dimensions of being mm-hmm. very stumpy. Like, you know, mm-hmm. yesterday I was, um, I actually noticed this yesterday. I was down Hotel Grand Lake, which is down in the southeast corner um, between Pastoria and Bailstone. There's like a swimmer in the uh, at the beach there with her floatzel. And the floatzel looks great in the water. Like the sprite looks brilliant, but it also looks absolutely nothing like the human sprites interesting like it, yeah it, it's it, because it's like a lot sort of slimmer and the proportions are more like kind of in line with what its actual battle sprite looks like i don't know there's just a lot of inconsistencies with the art style. i think it could have been pulled off if it sort of it feels like it it hasn't really um been fully committed to mm-hmm. if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah i i also keep seeing this I, I guess it's a glitch, but I keep seeing this thing where people's partner Pokemon like loses animation and they're able to like push it around the screen, but it's like arms and legs aren't moving. <laughs> have, have you seen anything like this? No. I saw somebody pushing a Torterra like over a rope bridge and like just kept like pushing their own partner Pokemon around the map. I don't know. <laughs> Must be some weird bugs. But yeah, yeah, you mentioned that that, that, that there's some kind of weird glitches and stuff. Yeah, um, I haven't seen that one, but like you know, that that kind of says it all, though, doesn't it? I mean, the the the, the bugs, like none of them are really game breaking or anything like that. It's more that they just seem to be really, really prevalent, and it, it's a case of you know, if I were anyone playing, I'd probably save like every ten minutes in case like some weird bug happens and you have to like reset. Mm-hmm. That that being said, like you know, there is a pretty reliable autosave there, which is great for a pokemon game I, I think sword and shield and maybe let's go had it but you know it's still relatively recent for pokemon games to actually account for autosave functionality so that being there is pretty appreciated it's kind of a in a weird spot too because it's it's a step back from sword and shield like technically and then uh legends is going to be like a huge step forward <laughs> from both games so it's kind of, it's, I, you know, it's a remake of an old game. Like, I think people can uh, appreciate that there's going to be some dated things about it. Um, but just the timing in between Sword and Shield and Legends makes it feel even older, I think. 
Yeah, and you know, Sword and Shield and Brilliant Diamond, Shine and Pearl, the window between them is the longest ever window between mainline entries in Pokemon history. Mm. And then between BDSP and Legends, it's the shortest. Right. So it's very weird that um for that it to be followed up in that way. Obviously, because BDSP was outsourced, they were able to work on two at the same time. So it makes sense. But yeah, I think that the like, I mean, when you look at BDSP, right, I, mean, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I think it, it could be, like, you know, the worst-reviewed mainline Pokemon game of all time. Um, in that, I don't know if any other one... Like, I think the Metascore is sitting at, like, 75 now. I'm not sure if any of the, like, mainline games or remakes have ever hit that low. Um, I mean, I, I could be wrong, but it's definitely among the lower ones. Yeah. Whereas I do think Legends is going to be like, you know, proper if it's pulled off from what we've seen so far, it could it could be proper like upper echelon stuff. Especially because as you said, it looks like it's going to be a huge step forward. So as long as they execute it properly, it's I think there'd be a drastic difference in reception to Brilliant Diamond Shine and Pearl and Legends. It's still a few points below Let's Go. Um and it's a full 10 point spread between like moon, uh, X and Y. Yeah. So I think you're right. Uh, it's like five points below Omega Ruby. Um, just based on the Metacritic score. I think you're totally right. It, it does seem to be the lowest scored. Is it lower than let's go? It is. It is lower than let's go right now. Yeah. Let's go is... at a 79. That says a lot because I mean, let's go was like, you know, subjected to some pretty unfair criticism because I mm-hmm. think, People just didn't know what to expect with that game. I think a lot of people who've re-examined that since launch have come to like it a lot more than they initially did. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's brilliant. I think it's better than a lot of the post-2010 Pokemon games. But yeah, I'm not shocked at all that it is actually the lowest. And like, you know, the lowest ever Pokemon game is still a great game, right? Um, sure. It's still better than, you know, a huge amount of other games that come out all the time. But yeah, I mean, when it's coming out right before what you're supposed to be reinventing your 25-year series with, it's a bit, yeah, a bit of a risk to say the least. But does it at least have the Pokemon from Platinum? So <clears throat> obviously, Platinum fixed that notorious lack of fire types in Diamond and Pearl, uh-huh. where if you didn't pick Chimchar, the only fire type you could get until after you beat the Pokemon League was Rapidash. Um, so if you didn't run Rapidash, you didn't have a fire type. Right. And now with the new hideaways in the Grand Underground, you can use the Explorer kit to go underground and you can go into these hideaways. And, you know, I think uh, in Pearl, you can get Houndor and Houndoom in, I think it might be like Magmortar and Diamond, like the Magmar family. Mm-hmm. But there, and there are other fire types down there too. But, you know, they, they, they did kind of fix that. There, You can get like, Pokemon from the first three gens before completing the Sinnoh decks or beating mm. the league in this bygone underground. But even that, I mean, Stacy wrote a great piece there earlier this week about how the hideaways just feel like bad wild areas. Really? Like almost anything that this game does well, it also doesn't do quite as well as other games before. Right. It. So right. it does exist in that real weird kind of space attention where you're like, yeah, this is fun and this is cool, but also it's not doing anything better than anything else. So mm. while everything is good and fine, 
if it had even one element that was better than other games, then that could be its like redeeming factor. Yeah. But it just feels like a very safe, faithful remake to games that were already made better 13 years ago with some like you know ideas since then just inserted for the sake of recency bias without actually fully committing to making them even half as good as they were in previous games. Mm-hmm. It's that built-in audience, though, and like we've got a whole <laughs> bunch of people that this was their Pokemon game, right? Yeah, also, I mean, it's also in the UK on the box charts, at least, it's already the biggest Switch launch of the year, so... Mm-hmm. Which is unsurprising, yeah. it's Pokemon. Right, but... yeah. Was there anything really that uh, that surprised you or you weren't expecting about it? I don't think so, no. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, it didn't do anything to surprise me. What I was surprised about was that it just ignored Platinum completely. Yeah. Which I just that's think a, is... That's a shame. It's such a... It just seems like a very, very... like I don't want to say ignorant, but, you know... again i don't want to sound mean but it it, it seemed really stupid to be like platinum came out and everyone was like oh my god this is so much better than diamond and pearl and then you're remaking gen 4 and you're like oh we're gonna make the ones that people like less yeah like that's i I don't know rationale behind that i don't either i don't either It's it's not even as if like you know platinum has so much more content or whatever i mean certain story elements are restructured there's a couple of extra characters and some minor extra scenes throughout. And then the ending is quite a bit different. Sure. But they did add in a lot of unnecessary stuff in, in here that, that just makes me think like, you know, if time had been managed differently, like I would much prefer if we had distortion world at the end, than right. like, you know, these hideaways or the new kind of super contests that are like old po- Pokemon contests, but different or, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there that seems like they spend time enhancing it or adding to it that it's like, yeah, but nobody's actually going to care. Well, I'm, I think I know the answer, but would you recommend that somebody play this or play platinum? Platinum. Uh, well, it depends, right? I mean, if they want to play a Pokemon game on their switch, like on their television, or say if someone has like, you know, younger siblings or kids or something like that, mm-hmm. brilliant diamond, Shine and Pearl are like, you know, much more modern and i do think that like you know them being on switch is a point in their favor and you know uh, they're they're really good games in and of themselves but if someone wanted if someone said to me what's the best gen 4 experience i can have like you know i want to i've never played these games before and i want to know what happens in Sinnoh before i boot up legends in january yeah i'd say platinum without a doubt yeah yeah it's not easy to play though, unless you, um, you know, sail the high seas. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you can. I mean, even if you wanted to like actually buy a copy of it, I'm sure it's sixty dollars, and you'd have to call all the game stores in town to find one. Yeah, I mean, unless you're, you know, willing to play it by other means, I don't think. Uh, I don't think many people have their DS anymore, or as you said, you know, it's not going to be an easy physical copy to come by. Yeah. But that being said, um, if it is at all possible for people to play it and they haven't, especially if someone plays like, you know, it might be a bit exhausting to think of the idea of like, you know, playing Brilliant Diamond or Shining Pearl, being disappointed and then being like, oh, well, I'll play Platinum, which does tell mostly the same story. But I do think that 
if someone had time, it would be completely worth it because if they were excited about Legends, Platinum is the game that will sort of honor that excitement properly. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, let me do a quick plug then for the Diamond and Pearl movies. Uh, yeah, cool. Which which I watched recently, and I think I I highly recommend, and I think you would like them too. Uh, there's four Diamond and Pearl movies, and the first three are in a trilogy. It's the only uh, sequelized Pokemon movies. Um, so if you start with Rise of Darkrai, and then uh, Giratina and the Sky Warrior, and then Arceus and the Jewel Life, uh, those three make up one continuous series that like dives pretty deep into Diamond and Pearl lore that I think is uh, pretty cool. And then the one after that is uh, Zorark Master of Illusion, which is still technically a Diamond and Pearl movie, but that one is uh, thematically, it's about the dangers of mass media. And there's this like sort of Trumpian figure that controls all the news channels and spreads misinformation. And it's like, a really fascinating movie. So all four of the Diamond and Pearl movies. If you're playing these games right now and you you know you're kind of in a Diamond and Pearl mood, uh, the movie those four movies are great. Who sure. does Sky Warrior refer to in the Giratina one? It's actually Shaman in Skyform. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, it's that's a a really interesting movie. That's all about the uh, distortion world. And uh, the relationship between, like, the, basically, in, uh, whenever there are disturbances in reality that manifests in the distortion world and, like, basically, like, space trash. And uh, Giratina gets overwhelmed by all of our uh, negativity that flows into that world and, like, retaliates. So, yeah. Yeah, because, I, uh, no, I was just thinking because, I mean, even... We were talking about uh, that new book in the Candelave Library. Mm-hmm. A lot of the myths in there refer to the likes of Giratina and Arceus and stuff like that. Yeah. So, especially because the new one seems to be, you know, talking about the Pokemon Ranger movie. I was wondering if maybe there's there's probably a link between the other ones in the films as well. Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. Um yeah. Again, that, that might just be me once again looking for stuff that's not there, just like you know, praying for the fact. Ho- that... Hoping there's more to it. Yeah. 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 M- Manaphy is Gen Four, right? As far as I know, yeah. I mean, okay. it, it, like, I, I think it was introduced in Gen Four. Um, it's one of those ones that has that weird overla- overlap. Like you said, that there's a there's a Rourke movie is technically Diamond and Pearl. Exactly. But it's a yeah. Gen Five Pokemon, so. Right, and the Manaphy, the Pokemon Ranger movie is is technically Gen three. Yeah, so they... I, I think that a lot of the time with the movies and the anime, they sometimes will incorporate either an older gen or newer gen Pokemon as a main character. Yeah, um, usually mm-hmm. newer gen. I think they're a lot of the time they're introduced in those films, aren't they? Right now, I'm off on a tangent now, but the Lucario movie, he was introduced more than a year before Gen three started. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, like, the reason people knew Lucario and Lucario became such like a A list Pokemon was because of this movie, not not necessarily because of the game. I always thought that was cool. Yeah, because even uh, yeah, because Diamond and Pearl is where Lucario has his thing, where you go to Iron Island with Riley, who looks a bit like that Aaron guy in the in the movie. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and he gets yeah. the egg. The fan theory is that he's like a descendant of Sir Aaron. 
or something. But it's it's kind of just an XB situation where they're <laughs> me- meant to reference the movies. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm a little bit disappointed about the these remakes, to be honest. I'm going to play them because I I love these games, and I think that's what everyone is going to do <laughs> just because they love them. I, I wish there was a little bit more to it. It sounds like you do too. Um, but we got Legends right around the corner. So, yeah, I mean, just... at least that's something to look forward to in contrast to. I, I don't want to say like it, I, I feel bad when I speak negatively about them. Like, even I gave them three and a half stars out of five. And even given that score, I was like, this feels weird because I love these games. They're probably going to be in my top 10 of the year, even though they're not even in my top 10 scored games because personally, I love them. I love Sinnoh. I love that generation. I love the Pokemon that it introduced. But they're just very, very lacking, mm-hmm. objectively speaking. Subjectively speaking, I think they're brilliant and I'm having a lot of fun with them. But when I actually step back and look at them properly, I'm like, there is so much missing here. Like, you know, these are these are not good Pokemon games for 2021. Right. But speaking of 2021, what an incredible year we've had oh, know, yeah. for Pokemon stuff. You know? Absolutely. It's kind of unbelievable. Yeah, between even, even- Snap, Snap, Unite, all the 25th anniversary stuff, like the card games off the chains right now. Like I, I, as disappointed as I am about this remake, it's kind of hard to not be super hyped for Pokemon right now, you know? Yeah. Even like, you know, I even bought my first packs in fucking what, like Mm. 15 years. Yeah. Um, I didn't get anything particularly good, but. You know, it was still a lot of fun opening them. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. yeah, even even today I played Unite. I'm still playing Unite. I'm not playing it as much as I used to be, but I'm pretty Yeah, you beat Unite. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, beat Unite and then, and, and then it kicked me back out. And like, you know, now yeah. I'm veteran again. Uh, but I, I played this one. I played one game today. I won. I had a pretty good clip of Greninja. I might, I might post it on Twitter later. Nice. Um, but... I, th- I think, you know what, though? Out of all the Pokemon games this year, Snap is definitely my favorite. Me too. Yeah, it's, it's the one I play the most. Yeah, I, I, I just love it. Like, I, I still just occasionally boot it up for no reason other than to just, like, do a course, like, mm-hmm. oh, for five minutes and then close it down again just because it's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, like, a, a nice, like, chill game to play that you don't need to put, like, a huge amount of effort into it, but it's also very rewarding at the same... You get a lot more from Snap than you have to put into it. Oh, yeah, totally. Man, Pokemon's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Keen, it's uh, it's Keen's last week with The Gamer, and uh, I just had so much fun covering Pokemon with you on the show. And I just want to say, you know, thanks, man. And I, I appreciate what you've done to get the podcast to where it is uh, so far. And we're definitely going to miss you on the show. Thanks to you, too. I mean, this is one of the things I'm going to miss most about working here is being able to talk about Pokemon all the time on a podcast with someone yeah. else who loves Pokemon. <laughs> At I know. Least, uh, sorry, Ged. The, definitely the door is open, especially when, like, uh, you know, Legends comes out. Come back in and chat with me and we'll we'll catch up and we'll do some Pokemon stuff whenever there's big news, you know? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I'm allowed to do that. So yeah, <laughs> provided I am, I'll definitely come back and chat. And also, <laughs> like you know, you you've been here now as well, who will probably put me to shame with Pokemon knowledge, which I am very ashamed to admit. 
Well, yeah, we're definitely not going to uh, slow down with Pokemon on the show. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> Uh, all right, take care. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk about uh, Halo Infinite Multiplayer. Crack open a cold Mountain Dew. <laughs> Get the Doritos. <laughs> it's Halo. All right, Halo time, Georgie. Let's go. Listen, uh, I'm a fake gamer go on well everyone knows that if you listen to this show <laughs> you know i'm a fake gamer you're here for the money halo multiplayer surprise came out last monday mm-hmm. i've played it every day since then yeah me too um i did not grow up playing halo because i never had an xbox mm. halo one combat evolved was on pc played it loved it was obsessed with it Halo 2 never came to PC. Halo 3 never came to PC. None of the Halos ever came to PC until Master Chief Collection. Mm. How crazy is that? I, that surprises me. But then whenever I think of like Halo, I do think Xbox. And I do think yeah. Xbox 360, Halo 3, like the limited edition helmet thing. And then like PC doesn't even come into my head. You know, it's so synonymous yeah. with it. Yeah. So. So I, I'm sorry to admit this. I am not a lifelong Halo boy. Oh, me neither. But, but like one of the beautiful things about Halo is that you can start playing and you just get it. Like there is a lot to learn. There's a lot of like cool tricks and stuff that you'll pick up. But like the round starts, it's Slayer. You have a gun. You're shooting dudes. Mm. Halo Infinite has some new stuff, some new uh, like the, the grapple shot that's new there's some new equipment and stuff but i don't like you don't need you don't need a lifetime of halo to like pick it up and have fun and even be good at it and i think that's like what's so special about infinite right now is like yes there's this huge legacy but also like this is just a a good ass shooter that anybody can get into right now it's one of the best it's the most fun i've had in multiplayer probably since smash ultimate and then like I, I can't even think of the time before that it is it is essential is what i'd call it i love it yeah and i've been trying to figure out how to sort of articulate what makes it stand out um because like it, it's not any one thing it's not like oh the like the guns are just so cool or mm. like oh like it's got really good maps it's just it, the game feel the like the marriage of the gunplay the sound design the map layout the mobility like it it all feels so cohesive it all feels so right yeah i'd agree you know um i'm never playing the game and i i never get mad at the game no when i when i'm like losing or struggling or whatever like I always feel like I can be better, and it always feels like the game is very fair. Mm. Except, um, except for the battle pass. Which except is for shit. except for all of that, and I didn't know how long I could wait. We were three <laughs> minutes into our. I could see it. Our I could see I, when I say it. Look, I like I want to talk about how great the game is because as soon as we talk about the start talking about the microtransactions, which are trap, which are like some of the worst shit I've ever seen in my life. Uh, all the reaction from 
the Halo stance is like, we never had battle passes. We played the game for the love of the game. And I, yes, I totally get that. But look, I didn't invent the Skinner box. <laughs> like, they made the Skinner box. I'm just trapped inside of it. It's not my fault that I need <laughs> numbers to go up. Like, you can't blame me for that. That's what this whole video game machine has done to my brain my entire life. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's so, also 2021, and to say, like, oh, like, you could just play it for the fun of it. Like, yeah, you, like that's why we play games, but any... I, I don't know if I'd call it, I'd call it live service. Any live service free to play game has to have progression of some kind. Like of to course. not have that, people would complain more if it wasn't there. So like to say, uh, you know, we, we played it just for the fun of it. That, that doesn't work now because people used to like roll hoops down roads with sticks. That doesn't mean it's fun <laughs> now. Right. <laughs> Look, it, it's both. The game has to be great. It has to be rewarding on its own and fun to play. And it needs progression and reward systems mm -hmm. so that it can drip feed me my serotonin. <laughs> I got to have number go up. <laughs> and I'm not going to apologize for that because I didn't invent that. Yeah. No, I agree I, with you. I've, okay. We'll, so, we'll, 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 we'll keep it there. Let's go back to good for a sec. Okay. Let's, let's, let's praise more because it is the it speaks to how good it is that I don't care that much that it's that bad. The microtransactions and stuff. It doesn't stop right. me. Yes, exactly. I've written now four pieces about how much I hate Halo's metagame. Mm -hmm. And I played it every day. I bought the battle pass. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm grinding the event. I'm doing the challenges. And it's all terrible. And I'm doing it because the game is very, very good. Mm. I can't you stop know? thinking about it. As we're talking about it now, I'm literally like, I could be playing Halo right now. And I haven't felt that. Probably ever. Like, I haven't played Halo long enough to ever feel that, but I don't think I felt yeah. it about a game in a really long time either. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I've never felt this competent at an online shooter. Yeah. Like, when I play, like, I got pretty good at Apex. Like, I, I was, I was playing every night and I could win five or six games with my squad every night. Mm. Um, and even then I knew that if I got into a lobby with, with the wrong people that I was going to get smoked. Yeah. Like I knew the games I was winning was because I was playing with chumps, <laughs> but with halo, like I'm in ranked, I'm like doing good in, in quick play. I'm winning like all the time. Like mm. I, I feel like, uh, I, I feel like the game gives you so many opportunities to just like succeed and have moments like i feel like no matter what your skill level is you're definitely going to get some moments yeah. you know i i love halo infinite so much that i recently moved house right and in the main room we've got the new tv we've got like the xbox series x there and i was like oh i have a tv in my room i'm gonna buy an xbox series s just to play halo when i'm in my room that's how much i like <laughs> Halo Infinite. <laughs> to a to a degree of spending money i shouldn't that's yeah. how good it is, folks. Go get it. It's free. You don't need to do that. It's just that good. It's free. So the I think one of the like defining characteristics of uh, of Halo's combat is the long time to kill. Hmm. I think it's. I have not done the math. I might have to do it if nobody else has, 
because I'm interested to know, but I think Halo might have the longest time to kill of any shooter. It feels long in Infinite, even compared to other Halo games. I might be wrong, yeah. that might just be, you know. I mean, you you can essentially empty the the battle rifle into somebody yeah. and still have to reload to finish them off. Like, And that really encourages the like the melee combo, you know, like break a shield, go in for the hit. Yeah. And that's sort of like really close up uh, gameplay. But if if you're trying to like, you know, play your sight lines and like pick people off, you have to drill into dudes mm. for like a while. And it it's also bounced around like vehicles because vehicles do more damage and then like power weapons do a lot more damage. But um but yeah, I think that's like that that's one of its defining characteristics and part of why the difficulty curve feels so low because you can get away. Yeah. You know, it's in a lot of games, especially like Call of Duty, it's like, if I see you, you're dead. Yeah. Yeah. If, if somebody sees me, I'm dead. But in, in Halo, like if you're out of position, you can get away, hmm. you know, um, and when you engage, you really have to commit. Like both people have to like commit to a fight. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, because if you end up like chasing somebody, then now you're out of position, and their squad's going to get you. It's and, like a dance, um, isn't it? Like it really is just yeah. like a dance of death. Um, for yeah. me, you mentioned earlier about game feel, and it is it is remarkable to me that the Xbox controllers don't have something like the DualSense does. Because when you're playing Halo, like you feel every shot, you feel like yeah. the melee attack, you feel like the crack of it. Like it's it's amazing considering like the lack of technology how well they've managed to make that feel and it goes into everything like jumping feels good it feels like perfectly timed shooting like just shooting off shots it's just it's so it's so simple with like like you said it just makes my brain go like i i need shots i need yeah you know yeah it's it's super crunchy it all it all, it, it just it just feels so good mm. just feels so good to play i don't know how many more different ways we can describe <laughs> that um, it feels good that's all we need they know. Uh, I would. I think that now they're doing the thing where it's like it's out, but it's beta, mm. and you're just supposed to accept that. And like, I don't even know what that means anymore. Like, they're selling battle passes, they're selling shit in the store, but yeah. it's not out yet. Um, if I okay, this is my thing. This is a really sh quick tangent. Go for it. If you are going to say your game is in beta, then there needs to be a gap between launch where it's offline. Or a reset at launch. Hmm. If your beta flows exactly into launch with no distinguishment, if it is impossible to tell when beta ended and when launch is, then that ain't beta. Your that's game just is loose. just out. Yeah. It's just out. Okay. That's that's all I'll say. I, I think uh, to that point, I think the reason it's like that is probably because I don't think they expected launch to go so smoothly. Like yeah. when it when they did that whole and it's out now. I remember I was like, "Well, it's going to be out in five days when I can finally download it." No, it was out that night. Like I played it right. that night, and I don't think they expected that. Like they, right. they've done some wizardry. Um, yeah, but I think they should just be brave enough to say, "Yeah, it's out. You're, you're buying Battle Pass for it. You're doing stuff." Like so. So the thing I'm expecting on December third, eighth, eighth, I think eighth, uh, is for the playlist to open up, right? Because traditionally, oh, Halo games have had like. Right? All the other Halo games, you have all the different playlists you can choose from. Mm. Am I wrong? No, no, you're completely because right. Right now, we have two. We've got Quick Play. Well, we've got 
three. We've got quick play, we've got big team battle, and we've got ranked. And yeah. then there's the event, the mm. fiesta, which is its own playlist. And I understand that like splitting up your game into different playlists can be dangerous for for a multiplayer game. Yeah. Because the more queues you have, the longer the queue times because mm-hmm. your players are all spread out. But that seems like pretty core to Halo that you can do the capture the flag playlist, the Slayer playlist, the oddball playlist. Yeah. Like, um, who wants to do oddball? That's my problem. Every time oddball comes up, I'm like, uh, <laughs> oddball's good when you know people. When you're playing with like someone yes. you can talk to, when you're it's playing, like, great. When you're playing with your friends, all the game odds are good. Yeah. When you're playing by yourself, oddball you just sucks. want to play Slayer. <laughs> you just, <laughs> yep, you yep. literally just want to play Slayer. Yeah, I totally get that. Um, and that's why there has to be a Slayer playlist, even if it draws so much away from the other game modes. Like there just there has to be a Slayer playlist. The other thing is like seven maps does n- is not enough Halo maps. No, I agree. No way. I feel like I play the same two every time. That one that's like the future street streets, and the other one that's like mm-hmm. that the market. The market, yeah, that one. Those yeah. two. Th- what what other maps are there? Tell me because I haven't seen them. Yeah. Yeah, the seven is is not nearly enough, and they're so small. Mm. Like I like I I don't I'm not saying like maps are easy to make or like I'm not doing the armchair dev thing, but like <laughs> it all Halo has is the maps. Yeah, like that's I we need that. All all we have is the multiplayer. At least right now, I know there's a campaign coming. But we, yeah, we need a ton more maps. I don't think we need a ton more guns. There's so there's so many guns. There's a lot of guns. I I think with Fiesta, the new event that kind of showed to me, I was like, I haven't used at least maybe even half of these. I haven't ran into when playing. Yeah. Um, so I would I would be fine if they just didn't add weapons for a good while. But we do need more maps. We do need playlists. Um, the the, the XP thing, the whole like battle pass. I'm literally like All rubbing right. my eyes in exhaustion. All right, I hate it. Go. I hate it. I hate it so much. Okay, here's here's my number one thing. I have a lot of issues with mm. the battle pass. Here's my number one thing. When your progression is exclusively challenge based, mm-hmm. meaning that you have to complete a challenge to make progress, you have designed a a way to play the game that is counter to the objective of the match Mm. you are instead of encouraging players to play the objectives and win the game you're encouraging them to complete their challenges right so by incentivizing challenges over uh winning matches and playing the objectives you're basically incentivizing degenerate play yeah and that is always always a problem I had a thought of it like always that. bad design. Because when I play around and I'm playing the zones and I need to capture the zones, mm. but my challenges are to get three kills with the bulldog shotgun. I'm not trying to get the zones. I'm trying to get the bulldog kills because that's how I get the experience and that's how I unlock shit. Yeah. And and people will say, like, just play the game and let the challenges happen. But it's so oppressively slow to make progress. It's the worst I've seen. That you must actively complete your challenges if you want to earn levels. And 
there there's a lot more problems around the battle pass, but that's the thing I want like everyone to understand and get on the same page with me about yep. is that challenge based progression is bad. It ruined Apex for me when Apex switched to the star system in like season six and you could only progress by doing challenges. I quit playing the game yeah, because it just felt too bad to play all night long and earn one level. Yeah. And I get that it like comes in waves, you know, like you don't, you don't expect how much you'll, you'll play a game and get no X, you'll get 50 XP. Now you'll play another game. You'll get 500 XP because you finished a bunch of challenges. I get that like ebb and flow of it, but that feels bad. Yeah. It just feels it, bad. Yeah, I don't want to do it. Like COD, I hate to I hate to compliment COD on well, no, COD COD's done a lot of good for like the genre, but like that does it right. Just play and level up. Like that's all it needs to be. I, I don't see like maybe challenges can be a little fun thing for completionists, or maybe they can have like more XP on top. But you shouldn't have it so that I'm level five and it would take me probably like twenty games to level up. And I love Halo, and I love Halo Infinite, and I will play twenty games in a night. Fine, cool, but for one level, like that's yeah. that's just that's just ass backwards. I just I don't understand how it's like gone through. Yeah, I think the game has. Uh, we're recording on Wednesday, so the game has been out for eleven days, something like that. I, yeah, I am level ten. I've played every day, that's and I focused on doing the challenges. There's a hundred uh, levels. Yeah. So, so this here, here's when we get into the other issues, by the way, let me just pitch the solution here is, uh, give XP for wins, give XP for badges because the yes. badges you get. Yeah. Yes. So, so bonus XP for a win bonus XP for the badges, which often relate to either multi kills or doing the, playing the objectives. Um, and then challenges are fine, but they should be minimal XP. They should be, if you want to do this, this is on top. Yeah. But what drives progression should be winning games. That's all. Easy. Um, Easy. Yeah. So the, the, the problem, so the, the, the challenge system is a bandaid for a problem, which is a lack of content. Mm. Uh, the hundred level battle pass is meant to last until May. Have That's you ever seen long. a game with a season that lasts like seven months, six, seven months? That is, I, even if you're counting into the fact like it's in beta right now, like that's still yeah. from December till May. That is ridiculous. Like a hundred, like I don't know. Even in this slow ass progression system, there are going to yeah. be people who are done with it before then. I guarantee. Oh yeah. Oh for sure. Like I say that, and then I think about it. I'm like, I've been playing. Most days, I'm level five. So, I mean, somebody else I'm sure has done the math, but so right now you get a set number of weekly challenges. So there is a there is only so much XP you can get from weekly challenges per week. It's capped. Mm. Those daily challenges, which which is just get fifty XP for playing a game, and it just refreshes. That's capped too. That's capped. You can only get like thirty three of those or something. I, I don't know what the maximum is, but that is also capped. That's so there is a certain point in the week, no matter how much you play, that you can no longer get experience. It's time gated. Jesus. Yes. That's not good. So so I don't know when you could possibly hit level one hundred. You can buy levels, 
Mm-hmm. You can just buy levels. So, so there's people that are already level 100. But as a free-to-play player, I'm not sure what the tipping point is where you could actually... Because the event is... We'll talk about the event in a second, but it's doing the same bullshit. It's time-gated too. Mm. Um, but yeah, so you can't just grind your way to level 100. Even if you if you played 24 hours a day, you just it's impossible to do. It's That's disappointing. Yeah, so, so this is meant to stretch out those 100 levels until May or whatever. Um, and that's just not, that's just totally insufficient. Just don't, totally just don't have it till May. Like again, maybe armchair development of like, Oh, just have a new season ready. But I don't know. It's just, yeah. yeah, it's just exhausting to think about. And that is the opposite of how I feel about everything else in infinite. Exhausting. I know. I love it. I could play it all night. But when I think of this, I'm like, it's, yeah, it's almost like a kick in the face. It's like, Oh, why and that's really the story with infinite. It's like, they they did it. They gave us Halo. It's great. It's exactly what we want. And then they just like throw it all away with this. And you know that that uh, these meta progressions is the last thing that gets designed. It makes sense. The game has to be good first, you know. Mm. But it's just it was it's too much of an afterthought. It was clearly not enough time, not ready, not enough stuff uh, available to put in the game. Uh, but it, it matters a lot more than I guess they thought it would or should. I don't know. Mm. I don't know what they thought, but this sucks. It feels terrible. The progression feels really bad. The event is the same way. It is not uh, It is not a traditional uh, multiplayer event where you have a few weeks to like do challenges and earn special stuff. It is going to be spread out over six months, one week per month. Uh, kind of like how Destiny does does Iron Banner, but the thing is that there are thirty levels to the event. Every challenge you complete gives you one level, but they occupy the same challenge board as your regular challenges. So when you look at your challenges, you'll have a mix of regular ones and event ones. And when you complete event ones, it's going to replace them with regular challenge ones. So you have to work through your weekly challenges to make those event challenges available. And there's only seven available per week. So to get to those 30 levels, you have to do all of the event challenges and your weekly challenges because they're buried. The event challenges are buried under the weekly ones. You have to do all of those every week that the event is live. So one week per month. For at least five months. And what you get from that, what you get from that is like seven XP boosters, some challenge swap tokens, one armor core, the samurai armor core, shoulder pads, two shoulder pads for it, a helmet, a helmet attachment, and the belt with the like little Little dagger in it. That's what you get. You get one armor core with half of the pieces and it will take you five months. When you said you were talking about it in the, um, in the Slack channel yesterday and I was playing it at the time and I was like, what? Nah, I didn't see what you mean. This is fun. I like the armor. Like I like the mode. And then now I'm like, oh, I was not paying attention to, (laughs) to the requirements. I was just kind of playing it. Yeah, that no, the, the, the game mode is great. Fiesta is super fun. You spawn with a full kit, two random guns, mm. usually a power weapon, 
Uh, and it's just like, it's chaos. It's, it's a good time. The, like, like the game. Yeah. The game mode is good, but the, the event progression, like, yes, it's free. Like, yes, you just have to complete challenges, but the way that it is time gated and spread until like may from yeah, now until awful. may to get one armor. It's really absurd. You know, it's re- <laughs> the sad thing is, is that I, I remember seeing something about this where they did a they do these like developer blog things where they go through all of the feedback they've got um yeah. and it's usually really cool like they go into that like extreme detail they're like oh yeah we're going to change the color of this we're going to add colorblind options and that's great and then they came down to the progression bit and they're like oh we know we know what you guys have been saying about it but it's going to take a while to fix so i i don't see it being fixed till <laughs> maybe this time next year I really don't, and I yeah. don't see them giving it up halfway through the season either. So, like May at the earliest, are we going to see a satisfying progression system? Right, because when this ends, when this fracture event ends, another one will begin, which has already been planned, I'm sure, and it'll be the same thing. So we're looking at, so that you know that'll be another five or six month sp- event spread out one week at a time. So, yeah, so we're looking at realistically a year from now before we see, like, a meaningful change. I think that's probably accurate. And that's yeah. sad. I'd, I'd literally, like, I don't give a crap about samurai cosmetics. They're kind of cool, but, like, I, I just want content. I just want new maps. I just want all this other stuff. Yeah. And it's going to take away from that because they're going to have to be spending time fixing the system that it launched with. Yeah, I mean, Halo Infinite is going to change a lot. Uh, over the next however many years, you know, um, because there's a lot of work to be done. Um, mm. I think that the the UI is a disaster. The the cosmetic, um, the way that you customize your armor cores is a total mess. Yep. It may it's so confusing to figure out when you unlock or buy pieces which armor core they're for and yep. how to put them on. There are <laughs> the menu for attaching pieces to an armor is horizontal and you have to scroll across the screen to see all the pieces, but you can't always tell from the icon what type of armor piece it is. Yeah. And then there are armor piece attachment menus, which is a sub menu within. <laughs> so, so <laughs> like, uh, like for instance, a helmet attachment, like let's say you get a flashlight that goes on your helmet. That's not on the armor customization menu, that like horizontal scroll. Yeah. You have to go into helmet and then open the attachment menu. But not every helmet can take every attachment. So when you unlock, oh, I hit level nine and I got the flashlight. You also need to find which helmet that (laughs) flashlight attaches to. Yeah. By go and not every armor core can take the same helmet. Yeah, I know that. So yeah. you have to find which core has which helmet that can use which flashlight. It's madness. Yeah. It is so hard to navigate and it's so hard to even see on your screen what all the options are and you start with nothing. Yeah. You have a core and you can pick between nine colors and that's it. Like you start with nothing. I remember them saying those are those are 
uh, I think it was a Twitter clip that went viral recently where they're like, every every soldier's going to look really different. Like, you can do whatever you want with them. And then there's like a clip of everyone looking, they've all got the anniversary skin on running out and they look the exact same because that's all yep. everyone's got. Yep. Yeah. Mm. And there, and there's nothing on offer. There's some stuff in the store, but not... Nothing good. Not, yeah. I, I have... Uh, I accidentally bought 2,000 credits when I first tried to buy the Battle Pass. Uh, so I have 1,000 left. Still haven't spent them. Nothing's come up. Mm, I'm looking to spend yeah. that. Just get a cool helmet, so I ain't, but yeah, do do. And, like, and really, like, I've looked at the whole Battle Pass, and I've looked in the store, and it's all just fucking Halo spacesuits, dude. Like, even once we get all the shoulder pads and the belts and the helmet attachments everyone's just kind of kind of look like vaguely the same master chief oh well that's that's the problem like they're basing all of this on it's like it's themed around reach right like who's not going to use the reach armor when you get it and then everyone's just going to be characters from reach yeah like yeah the fracture stuff is a cool idea because the the idea of fracture is that it's like a multiverse people fucking hate it though (laughs) they fucking hate it yeah, I don't really care what they think. Honestly, no, I agree. like I agree. It looks the cool. like the purists or whatever. Like, we need wacky shit. The samurai thing is a good idea. Mm-hmm. This is how we like differentiate. And I hope, I hope down the road we have Gears of War shit, and we have, you know, uh, other Microsoft. Pro- I hope we get the the dragon. Uh, what's it called from Skyrim? Uh, the Dovahkin helmet. Yeah, yeah, they could do anything. I want that. Uh, you could, yeah. you could have Doom. I know Doom is just another spacesuit, but like Doom would be cool. Doom would be cool. Get like Fallout stuff. Yeah, you know I, that excites um, me more than this sort of boring samurai one with a tiny dagger yeah. on the front. Yeah, I think they got to do that. They I have think to. They got to do that, and they it'll will. piss off Halo people. But who cares? <laughs> um. Yeah. Interesting. I love the game. Yeah. I don't know if I hope I made that clear. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I, like, when I say essential, I mean like I would consi- I would tell people to go Xbox over PlayStation this holiday to get Halo. It is that good, and like we're we're talking here about oh, what what's our top ten games of the year, and I'm like even if Halo Infinite's campaign is just okay, even if it's bad, Halo Infinite still cracks mm-hmm. my top ten mm-hmm. because it's that good. Yeah, and uh, Jade is reviewing the campaign and we did a preview on the show last week uh she was able to talk about maybe like four hours of it and Mm. she's like blown blown away she's like loving it so fantastic yeah i know just need to sort this shit out i feel like it's it's always you and i talking about these things like when it was marvel's avengers it was you and i chatting about it Mm -hmm. when are we gonna get something good when are we gonna get something like i know i I mean what's on the horizon what's what do you think is gonna nail it god I could, you know, I can't even think of a single thing. That's... Do games even nail it anymore? Or everything is just a work in progress they, forever? They launch and then they figure it out and then people have forgotten by then. Like, Marvel's Avengers could be amazing by now, but people aren't playing it, so they wouldn't know. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, next week, no Halo. The week after... Halo. We're going to have the full Halo campaign breakdown. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So once we've all gotten into it, Jade will come back. Uh, she'll have her review and we'll all have had our hands on it. So uh, the Halo will continue. Uh, but until then.
Thanks, George. No worries. That's your show for the week. Thanks so much for listening. But before we go, I want to tell you about a new segment we're going to do next week, our listener questions. We want to answer your questions, but more importantly, we have a question for you. Can you tell us your most underrated game of 2021, your secret fave, your hidden gem, and tweet using the hashtag AskTheGamer? And we will read your answers on the show next week. You can also use that hashtag to uh, ask any questions you have. Or you can send your questions to at Epic And I will read them on the show next week. See you then. 